wonderful friends, and welcome to the worldwide broadcast of the Ted and Austin Brower Show, bringing you the latest world news and health research. I hope you guys are having an absolutely tremendous, wonderful day today, and Dad's basically getting hooked up right now, so he'll be with us here in a couple minutes. And I had a couple things I want to start off on here this morning, and before you, I get started, if you guys need anything, as you heard yesterday, y'all voted and it won the product of the week, the Purple Sticks, on sale right now, so be sure to check it out on the website of Health Masters. And the first thing I saw, this is interesting, is that apparently the CDC now is having a little hissy fit, and they're in the corner pouting, and they're mad that suddenly they don't have apparently the unknown powers that they thought they have to dictate what daily activities Americans have to be forced to do when the CDC tells them to do. As I told you guys before, the CDC does not have an enforcement branch. They have no ratification by Congress to run around and tell Americans what they have to do in their daily lives, like stand six feet apart from one another and wear a big giant dog muzzle on their face while they go out in public and go on buses and trains and planes and automobiles. They don't have that right. They never have. They are, they are not an enforcement branch, but yet they seem to have thought they can do whatever they want. Now, as we've seen, the corruption through the CDC has gone back decades. I've gone into detail on, on other shows. I don't have time to do that today. You guys can listen to some of the older stuff and look at some of the older articles or do your own research on it and what they've done over the decades and how they've continually corrupted a lot of things when it has come to the truth about shots, what we saw with the MMR shot, all the way to different drugs that have gotten through on the market that they basically think is completely okay, all the way to what they tell people randomly to do and arbitrarily Aside, like stating it's okay to allow unfettered migration into the United States now, as they did with Title 42, they said that that's okay. I talked this about the other day on that Fox interview, but yet they still think we need another two weeks with the mask. Now, obviously, we already know from the research the masks are completely and totally arbitrary. They do not work at all protecting you from a virus, especially when you're sitting next to somebody shoulder to shoulder on a plane. It's quite comical. That being said, the entire aspect of this endless field goal that they keep moving repeatedly is designed to do one thing, and that's to ensure the compliance continues to go through. I told you guys yesterday, I don't understand why so many people, and even a lot of the stewardess and pilots, I guess they just didn't want to get terminated, so they continue to comply with it. Well, now the CDC is asking that the federal government, the Department of Justice, to appeal the decision and basically leave the decision up to the CDC, essentially overstepping what the judge ruled down here in Florida, that the mask mandate was unconstitutional and the CDC does not have the legal ability to force people to wear masks while they travel on planes. The CDC is now upset about it, and they've gotten in a little hissy fit, and so now they're demanding that the Department of Justice appeal the decision and overturn it with the judge, with the federal judge, to give the CDC the control they want back. They're saying to the public health experts at the CDC are warning, unless overturned, it will hamper the CDC's ability to respond to future outbreaks. And this is what one of the public law experts said, Lawrence Gostin. If the CDC can't impose an unintrusive requirement to wear a mask to prevent viruses from going state to state, then they literally have no power to do anything. Well, you're exactly right, Attorney Lawrence. The CDC does not have the power to do anything. They can put guidelines out. They can put ideas out. They can put things that people need to do in order to try something. They can do that. 
But you're absolutely right. The CDC cannot pose any type of requirements on the general populace, and this is what they're going to try to do. And let, let me make myself very clear on this. If the Department of Justice appeals this and actually overturns this, and the CDC now suddenly – because this is going to take weeks – for this to go through, even if they try to expedite it, it's going to take weeks, if not months. If they suddenly come back now in a couple of weeks or a couple of months and the CDC comes back and says, well, listen, we have found that there's a few more cases that have popped up on another variant. and Everybody needs to mask up immediately again. If the general populace and employees of these planes and passengers actually put their masks back on, this will be the end of pretty much all health freedom in the United States. This is a giant algorithmic test. They know the general populace does not want to wear masks. They know the general populace believes the truth that the masks do not work. They know for a fact from the algorithms off Twitter and social media platforms that people have become disgusted with it. They know for a fact that parents no longer want their children to wear masks, and for good reason, they're done. This is all being done as an algorithmic base to see a symbolism can be brought back and see if the CDC can actually talk with their propaganda, the American populace, back into putting a muzzle back on their face even after a federal judge has ruled over it and people are no longer wearing masks. What they're going to probably try to do now is they're going to try to start demanding everybody get tested again. We have to start testing because this variant in New York. We have to start testing, testing, testing. And they're going to try to get their numbers up by making sure their PCR test shows that everybody's going to get infected again with COVID. The high probability that's going to happen so they can try to overturn this to see if they can gain some remnants of their illegal and constitutional control back over some of the sheeple of the United States. That's my personal opinion on this. Now, in a lighter side of this, and this is kind of funny, this article that actually I caught from Yahoo, and it, just, it was just funny, so I'm going to bring it up with a little bit of humor. It says, America's mass manufacturers are taking it on the chin. It said, just a year ago, 26 of the upstart mass producers signed a letter to the administration crack, urging a crackdown on an influx of low-priced Chinese masks. <laughs> and so what happened was the U.S. manufacturers got support that basically the government would start really buying more product and more masks and start encouraging people to buy more masks in the United States. The president of the American Mask Manufacturers Association <laughs> – I can't make this up. A group created to fight for the domestic startups was one of the survivors that actually made it through. They said at the peak of it, during the Omicron variant, they were doing a half a million dollars a day in sales. $500,000 a day in sales. Guys, that is an insane amount of money on mass, considering the fact there's almost virtually no cost to make these things. That's talking over, depending on how on how you keep that on with the weekend, that's about $150 million a year in sales selling masks. Arbitrate said his business can make money producing at a lower level, in part because it has shifted towards producing air filters now for homes. <laughs> and what's interesting about this now, they're now saying that their sales, now that the mask mandates have dropped, in most states, and now the CDC has dropped, he said they're down to about 5% of what they were at the height of their sales during Omicron. Now, I'm all about capitalism. If a company wants to do a startup and start pushing masks and selling money and making money, that's not my forte, nor am I going to support them. 
but again, they found a niche and they exploited it and they made their money. Now, if they can't figure out how to stack some of that cash and reinvest it and go into a different realm like air filters, which as they're doing after they just were making basically $150 million a year, I don't know what else to tell them because now they're saying, well, it's, it's very disappointing to see the mask mandates lifted. Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> if, if I was in a business making half a million dollars a day and all of a sudden that industry stopped because the government stopped mandating it, I'd probably be a little upset too. I'll be honest with you if that was my business venture that I was in, but I thought it was interesting, almost comical, how much the mass market turned into an industry. And then my next question with this was, how much money were all these various companies in the U.S. and in China and other ones, how much of them <laughs> were contributing funds and donating funds to campaigns like Governor Newsom and other ones in New York and other states that had been just hard dialed down like Newsom was demanding everybody still wear masks including children in school and then you catch him not even wearing masks how much money do you think they donated to his campaigns on especially that last election scheme how much money do you think they've donated to certain areas and certain communities and certain cities in order to make sure the mask mandates stay in place with the city commissioners that are basically putting in there I don't know I'm just asking you just an open question on that because it seems funny to me there's that much money Money flowing in with these industries, that there's a, obviously a lot of funding that can be used to go towards marketing campaigning, like donating to campaigns and donating to commissioners. Just my thought on that. <laughs> and also, too, this is a topic I wanted to bring up. Let's spend a couple minutes on it. I've had a lot of people over the last couple months email me questions on the aspect of this, the FDA's essentially working in the back pocket of Pfizer. And it's not just the FDA working in the back pocket of Pfizer. It's the FDA working hand-in-hand -hand with every single major pharmaceutical company now. A lot of people don't realize this, and I pulled this article up that I had talked about years ago, and I'm going to post it on the website as well so you all can read it. And it's a very, very good article. It's very detailed. It's referenced, and it's basically from – Caroline Chin. This is from June 26, 2018. Okay, so stay with me here for a second. This is pre-COVID. The word COVID for the general population never even knew this existed. This was in kind of the heart and the height of the Trump campaign when everything was really booming and going really well. And what a lot of people don't realize is the biopharmaceutical industry, pharma, big pharma, provides 75% of the FDA's drug review budget. People don't know that. And this is an interesting article I'm going to go into for a second, and it discusses now how the FDA and big pharma literally work hand-in-hand. Hand. It says as pharma companies underwrite three-fourths of the FDA's budget for scientific reviews, the agency is increasingly fast-tracking expensive drugs with significant side effects and unproven health benefits. Now, again, this was pre-COVID. This is pre-RNA vaccine. This is pre-remdesivir authorization approval. This is pre-all of that. Now you know why it started to get like this and why they've allowed it to go this far once you hear what's going on in this article. Nuplazid, for example, a drug for hallucinations and delusions associated with Parkinson's disease, failed two of its clinical trials. In its third trial, under revised standard for measuring its effect, it still showed minimal benefit. Overall, more patients died or had serious side effects on Nuplazid than after receiving no treatment. Patients on Ulleronic, a gout drug, suffered more heart attacks, strokes, and heart failure in two out of the three trials than did their counterparts on standard medication. Nevertheless, the U.S. FDA approved both of these drugs with a deadly aftermath. 
The FDA is increasingly greenlighting expensive drugs despite dangerous and little-known side effects and inconclusive evidence that they curb or cure diseases. Today, the FDA reviews and approves drugs faster than any other regulatory agency in the world. Between 2011 and 2015, the FDA reviewed new drug applications more than 60 days faster on average than did any other European medicine agency. Instead of regulators and regulated industry, we now have a partnership, said Dr. Michael Carome, director of the Health Research Group for the nonprofit advocacy organization Public Citizen. The current commissioner, now remember this is 2018, the current commissioner, Dr. Scott Gutlieb, and yes, if you remember that name, I've talked about it before. He's also now on the top, one of the top board members at Pfizer. <laughs> this time he was working for the FDA. Now he currently works for Pfizer. I, you can't make this, this, this collusion up anymore. So Gutlieb, they said, is easing even more drugs part to the mar- path to the market. The FDA had paid 46 novel drugs whose chemical structure had not been previously approved in 2017, the most in at least 15 years. President Trump has encouraged Gutlieb to give patients faster access to new drugs. They go on to say here the FDA also increasingly allows drug makers to claim success in trials based on what now they call proxy measurements, such as shrunken tumors. Instead of clinical outcomes like survival rate, curing, side effect rate, so forth, which take more time to evaluate, they simply allow them to base it on proxy measures. The FDA's growing emphasis on speed has come at the urging of both patient advocacy groups and industry, which began in 1992, to contribute to the salaries of the agency's drug reviewers in exchange for time limit reviews. I'll go into detail on that in a minute. What happened in 1992 is they were basically stating that there were not enough drugs available for AIDS patients. And so they pushed what was called, and Congress ratified it, it was called the Prescription Drug User Fee Act in 1992. That's fee, F-E-E, not free, fee act, which established industry fees to fund FDA staff salaries. In return, the FDA promised to review drugs within 12 months for normal applications and six months for priority cases. You follow me now? So in 1992, they said that the the drug manufacturers had to actually provide funding for the FDA employees that were approving their drug. Unbelievable. This is this just the beginning of it. You guys are going to like this. Glad you're with me, Dad. In 2017, Big Pharma paid 75% or $905 million of the agency's scientific review budget for branded and generic drugs. Compared to 1993, only a year after that was done, they had paid only $104 million. It literally went exponential in essentially a 20-year period. This is what we're now starting to see. It's been a 25-year period. Now it says many of the physicians, caregivers, and other witnesses that come before the FDA advisory board that evaluate drugs receive consulting fees, consulting fees, expense payments, and other reimportation from pharma companies. The more the FDA relied on industry fees to pay for drug abuse, the more it showed an inclination towards approval, former employee said. You don't survive as a senior official at the FDA unless you are pro-industry, said Dr. Tarmus Marnik, a former FDA medical team leader. You do not get promoted unless you're pro-industry. That's a fact. Marnik and the former FDA employee who requested to be anonymous both said they have never seen an award granted to a team that rejected a drug a drug application. Higher-ups would also send congratulatory emails to medical review teams when the drug was approved. He went on to say, nobody ever got congratulated for turning down a drug. You just seriously questioned, however. 
And what continues to go on in this article is a long, it's about 17 pages. I'm going to put it on the website. I want you guys to go through. It goes into detail about more and more drugs. And it has stories about drugs. Then literally some of them had only 80 to 90 participants in the clinical trial, in one clinical trial that they had to get through. And literally six of the people in the 90-person trial died taking the drug. And yet it still got approved because it said there were no other drugs like it on the market and it was needed. What's happened now, take it a step further, they now have found a loophole with the emergency use authorization. Emergency use authorization was never, never okay in the FDA realm unless it was something that absolutely had to be used and it had essentially huge benefits that could maybe occur to people that are essentially on death's door. That's what emergency use authorization was for. It was an emergency use. It was an absolute downright, the bells are ringing, the flags are out. It's an emergency. This is a drug that may save people. The side effects may be bad in some cases, but it's going to save way more people than it can possibly hurt. Hopefully, we're thinking, but we're just kind of guessing because we really don't know because there's no significant research. When they came in and they gave remdesivir, they gave Gilead the approval for emergency use on remdesivir. It was just that. It was emergency use for a viral drug that had no significant findings that it actually worked. And the four comparisons are four different drugs that were in this group that were being looked at. Remdesivir did the poorest out of all four, yet it got the emergency use authorization when they showed, even in the clinical trials, that 25% of the participants had to be pulled off the drug almost immediately because they started going into organ failure. This is the same thing we saw now with the Pfizer injection and the AstraZeneca injection and the basically uh, all the other ones that they've come out with now for this RNA gene therapy. There have never been any type of long-term research study done on this, yet the FDA gave it almost immediate authorization through emergency use. Comirnaty is the name that the FDA came back in and proved the Pfizer RNA COVID injection, Comirnaty. Comirnaty is not available in the United States. You cannot get it under any circumstances. It's only available in other countries. The current one that they're still giving out is basically the biotech COVID shot that is listed still as an emergency use authorization. However, they had the ability by saying Comirnaty and the current emergency use biotech are very similar in their outcome, so you can interchange them anytime you want, meaning you can keep giving the emergency use authorization shot to people in the United States while Comirnaty is not available to them. This is shielding them significantly from any liability between the FDA and Pfizer because they can currently say the emergency use authorization is essentially just that. It's emergency use, and that's the shot that you got. That's the serial number, the batch number on your card that you got. So sorry, the VAERS report keeps going up, and we've now had over well over a million and a half people, I think now, that have had significant severe side effects from that shot just in the United States. Ignore it. Don't worry about it. It just has to be given because it's for your safety. This is why I encourage people over and over and over again, do your research before you start popping pharmaceutical drugs. I'm not telling you not to listen to your doctor. I'm not saying that. I'm not telling you not to take a drug. I've never said that to anybody. What I'm saying is do your own research on the back end of the drug. Find out about the clinical trials. It's all usually public knowledge. Find out about what happened to the participants that, t- that took it. Find out if it was expedited through the FDA. Find out what the long-term and short-term side effects are and if it's worth taking. Do your own research because as sad as it is, the FDA has been completely and totally compromised, and it shows it right here in this article. When you start talking about about a billion dollars 
<laughs> of your budget that comes in to pay your employees and FDA approvals is coming from directly from the pharmaceutical industrial complex, and you wonder why they're approving all these drugs at light speed without ever having significant trials or they're allowing them to manipulate the data, there's a reason why. So please, my friends, understand the medical industrial complex and the pharmaceutical industrial complex is not there to save you, nor is it there to protect you, nor is it there to keep you healthy. It's to keep you as a unit alive to continue to give money. When you no longer have the funds or money to give them, notice how quickly they donate pharmaceutical drugs to people that are in need of them. Mm-hmm. When's the last time you heard about that? Uh, we know, you know, he's still got this disease. We're just going to donate another five years of the drug, even though it's thirty thousand dollars a year. We're just going to donate him five years of it. No, what do they do? They cut the drug off from the patient. That's what they intentionally do when you can no longer pay for it. Hence, they don't care about your health, safety, or lifespan. They simply want as much money from you until you can die. And as sad as that is, as sick as that is, that is the industry we're working in. So it's best, most cases to opt out of that system or not get involved in it at all if you do your own research and you want to make your own decisions on a lot of this stuff. But I want to kind of go into detail on that because I've had a lot of people asking me about why it's so strange the FDA keeps approving these things. This is why right here, and I'll put this article on the website, and you guys can look through it back from 2018. And good morning, Dad, and how, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great, Austin. Great show so far. I'm really enjoying it. Now, have you covered yet? Because I wasn't. I, I just got here, friends. I apologize. I was, I had, I was tied up with another meeting this morning. Did you cover about how Biden's administration is now going to go in and try to appeal the ruling of the federal court as far as forcing mask mandates back on everybody? Yes, I, I talked about it at the very beginning and the fact that the CDC is having a conniption fit now and the Department of Justice is going to go back in and try to appeal it. And I pretty much told everybody this is a algorithm run again, and they're going to see if they can arbitrarily come back and hand control back to the CDC, even though they do not have the legal means to do so. But I would love to get your take on it as well. Well, the craziest part about all of this stuff is that, see, Biden had to do this. People are saying, well, why are you saying that? No, he had to. He had no choice. Uh, He had absolutely no reason whatsoever not to do this because he was all in. And, you know, once you understand when you go all in like this, you can't back out, otherwise you look like an idiot. You really do. Now, now it all depends on the appeals court that he uses. It all depends on what happens in the appellate court. Uh, it may end up going to the Supreme Court again, and they're probably going to rule in Biden's favor again because Trump put a couple more shills on there. And then, of course, we have this new shill. I'm not sure if she's, she's actually in there or not yet, but the one who's the idiot, the one lady they just put in. And, and the problem we have here is basically the courts have been compromised, and that's why I constantly talk about the judiciary and what happens. And, and when you look at the Food and Drug Administration and, and all the things that we're talking about with you, what you're talking about with the Food and Drug Administration, of, you know, approving drugs, you know, I call it the Federal Death Administration or the Failed Drug Administration, whatever you want to call it. But the reality is, is that 50% of the drugs that they approve within five years are either pulled back off the market or basically have their warning labels changed. I mean, we see it over and over and over again. In fact, back with 60 Minutes, back about 40 years ago, 60 Minutes would actually do every once in a while to do a really good show. They don't anymore, but they, about 40 years ago they did, and they had a show on it. It was called The Revolving Door of the Food and Drug Administration. It was like a 20-minute segment that 60 Minutes did. They were talking about all of the people who were involved with the FDA and all of the people that basically were hired by the respective drug companies for the drugs whom they had approved by those drug companies after they left the FDA, and they called it the Revolving Door Policy of the Food and Drug Administration. Now, I have a friend of mine. She's got a doctorate in science from Harvard and also has an MD degree, and she actually worked for the Food and Drug Administration back in the 80s. 
brilliant, brilliant woman, one of the smartest people I've ever met. And, and she told me that she would never, ever, under any circumstances, approve drugs that were going to cause problems. And she said the only time they would ever, ever allow an emergency use authorization to go through if there were no other available protocols or drugs that could treat the symptom. This is why they had to come after ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. They had to tell everybody, no, they're not approved, they're not approved, they're not approved. And, oh, yeah, and the monoclonal antibodies, they're not approved either. Nothing's approved. The only thing that's approved is remdesivir. And that's why they did that because my, my doctor friend told me that if they had any other way of doing it without an emergency use authorization, they would do it because it's like you said, Austin, only in the event that so many people were going to die if they didn't have emergency use authorization would they approve it. In other words, here's how it works. Let's say you know that a drug is going to kill 50% of the participants, but it's the only drug that can be used for an emergency use authorization. And if you don't basically use it, 100% of the participants are going to die. So the FDA comes in and they go, we don't want to approve this. We're going to give it a emergency use authorization only because we know that 50% of the people who take it are going to die. But we also know that 100% will die if we don't give it to them. So we'll save 50% of the people by killing 50% of the people with this drug. I know that sounds very weird, but that's how they look at it. Is if they have to mitigate the risk, and it's only if nothing else is available. This is why you never heard the Food and Drug Administration talk about vitamin D or potassium iodine or zinc, or the approval of ivermectin, or the approval of hydrochloroquine, none of this stuff, that they would not do it. They only wanted to approve one drug, remdesivir. And now they've literally made hundreds of billions of dollars on the sale of that drug, and they've literally killed thousands and thousands and thousands of people globally with that drug, and they're still going strong. And now they've approved that drug for newborns. Newborns. I mean, you know, a little seven-pound baby comes down with COVID, we're going to put them on remdesivir. Well, it's only a matter of, of a day before they start having organ failure. Their organs aren't even fully developed in many cases, and they're still very weak. But this is what they do. And I see, that's why I told you guys, and I've mentioned to you multiple times, that it's the Kabbalist Luciferians who see this as a blood sacrifice. And it's like Austin also said, you never hear them say, oh, by the way, you know, you are, you know, you, we basically are going to give you these free drugs because your insurance has run out. I've got another friend of mine who's a medical doctor I really don't talk to very much anymore, and he lost his license, bless his heart, because he was trying to do, I guess, what was right, and had him, they yoked his license. But he said he had a friend of his who was also a medical doctor, and he, he would say that as soon as the people's money would run out and the insurance was capped, if they were on a ventilator, if they were on life support or anything, as soon as the money ran out, he would go ahead and issue the order to turn off the ventilator and go ahead and have the person die. That's just how they look at it. That's how mercenary it is. There's an old movie you guys, you, you guys can watch. I've never seen it on any of the streaming services, but you have to buy it. It's called The House of God. And it's best, it's not a satire, but it's a, it's a very in-depth look at what happens in hospitals as people are on their last deaths, on their deathbed and, you know, and how people, they want to autopsy the person to see what they died of so they can get the extra money from the autopsy. And all these, it really goes into detail. It's a very sobering movie. And then years ago, I'll never forget, the drug manufacturers were talking about developing a cancer drug that would be like a diabetes drug so they could increase profits. And just stay with me for a second. This is hard for you to even, this is going to be hard for you to grasp because I couldn't believe it when I first heard this. They said they wanted to make cancer like diabetes so they could give a person a drug that would be, they could be on for years, if not decades, so they could generate maximum revenue for the pharmaceutical corporations. In other words, they don't want to cure the cancer. They want to keep you alive with cancer and keep giving you drugs so they'll make more money. And, and this is, this is the, this is the state of affairs that we have found ourselves in now that, you know, that 
these big drug companies are owned by State Street and Vanguard and BlackRock and the Bloodline families, and they're greedy, greedy, greedy people. They don't care about personally getting better in many cases. They really don't. It's the fiduciary responsibility to the stockholders to maximize profits and dividend distribution. That's how they see it. And when you understand that you're just a number and you understand that, you know, these doctors, when they give you chemotherapy and they do radiation, they make huge amounts of money for these people who are issuing the radiation or issuing the chemotherapy. They start to, you start to understand how you're just a number in the cog in the system. And I remember my friend told me who was the doctor who basically had the friend in the hospital who was his doctor who I don't know. Every time he would turn off a ventilator, he had a, he had a, a big old a heater on the side of the wall in there, one of those old fashioned steam heaters. And he would go take a magic marker and he'd chalk up another one. And every time he got to five, he'd cross it. And so basically he'd keep a list of how many people he had turned the ventilators off and basically how many people he had killed. Now, I'm going to say this and I'm going to be very candid with this. This is an isolated incident. We have many good doctors out there that are just as frustrated as you and I are about this entire situation in the Food and Drug Administration. They can't stand it either, but they don't know what to do because unless they follow the standard medical protocol, they will have their licenses yoked, just like my friend did. So if you don't do exactly what you're supposed to do, in other words, if the standard medical protocol for COVID is remdesivir and you choose not to use it and that person dies – they can come back and they can do a review on it. Now you're going to be held liable for the fact that you did not use remdesivir. And if that person dies, they can sue you for malpractice. That's the problem we've got with the entire medical system. Same thing we have with the attorneys. You know, we need tort reform in the United States. If somebody sues you in a frivolous lawsuit and they just want to collect, you know, $15,000, $20,000 from you so that they'll make the lawsuit go away, they should have to pay your attorney fees if they're found to be you know, you know, if, if they're found, how should I say, if they if, if they don't win the case. In other words, whoever wins the case needs to pay the other party's attorney fees. If that started, if we did that, that's something to do in England, it would stop all these frivolous lawsuits. You know, I've, I've got a friend of mine, you know, and his wife was working, you know, at one of these, you know, nonprofits. And she dropped something on her foot. It didn't really hurt her, but she sued the nonprofit. I kid you not, got $10,000 out of it. And I'm like, what the heck? And I, I told him, I said, dude, that's not cool. That's not okay. <laughs> that's just not okay. I said, you know, she should have been more careful. She, just, she didn't break her foot. She bruised a little bit, but it was her own fault. It was her own negligence that caused that. But people will settle with them just to not have a long-term legal liabilities. I had another friend of mine. He basically, uh, you know, was, got caught up in a doggone manufacturer's liability claim. And he basically just settled you know, for, you know, I think twelve, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000 and said, no, I'm not going to be involved with this from a legal fee standpoint. And the manufacturer won the case. It took five years and they spent a quarter of a million dollars in order to win the case. This is what happens all the time. So when they turn those guns towards you, those legal guns, and like they did with Roger Stone, and they six, 600 attorneys on you, and they start filing all those briefs and all those, all that stuff that they want to do, all that evidence and, you know, all, all of the things they want. What ends up happening is it overwhelms you if you're an individual and you don't know what to do besides just capitulate. You see it all the time too, you know, in these trials. Very few cases go to trial for misdemeanors or felonies. They're all plea bargained because it's so expensive to fight the case that people go, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't have this money. I've got a friend of mine right now. He was sued by the Food and Drug Administration. They tried to take his license away because he was talking about zinc and D3 a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. And now he has almost $2 million in the lawsuit. He, he's a very wealthy physician, and he said, I'm, he, and they've offered a settlement to him. They offered him a substantial amount of money just to settle because they don't want to deal with it because they know they can't win this if it goes to a jury trial. But he said, I'm taking it to a jury trial. 
I've got all the evidence that shows that D3 and zinc are used and can be used effectively for COVID, and we're going to go to a jury trial, and I'm going to be found innocent. So they offered him literally several million dollars in settlement. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. We're going to keep pushing this through, pushing this through, pushing this through. And see, that's the problem we have. Everything is so expensive when you do that, unless you've got really deep pockets or unless you're willing to bankrupt yourself, you know, you, you, you usually settle. A person says to you, you know, we're going to charge you with these felonies. We're going to give you three years in prison, and we're going to plea bargain it to three years. And otherwise, if you go to court, there's a possibility you're going to do 15 years. And you go, but I didn't do it. Well, you, know, you, you could say you did it, and we can plea bargain down to three years. And if you take away to court and you lose it, you're going to prison for 15 years. And so many people go ahead and take the plea bargain, whether they're innocent or guilty, because they don't want to take a chance of being in prison for 15 years. It just goes on and on and on. So it's a very, how should I say, twisted backward system with the medical systems and the legal systems of the United States. I mean, it really, really is. And then if you go to court and you get a court-appointed attorney and they have their other 300 cases on their desk that they're trying to deal with, all they want to do is settle. All they want to do is make as many of these cases go away as quickly as possible to make sure that their bosses are happy with them. And that's the problem with these court-appointed attorneys. And that's why most of the time they're the worst of the law school classes. I hate to say that, but they are. And they basically are doing it you know, pro bono, and they have to do X amount per year in pro bono, and they don't want to mess with it. In other words, they're not being paid for. They're being paid a minimum amount. And so be very, very careful from a legal standpoint. If you do get in trouble legally, do what you need to to get yourself a really good attorney. I'm telling you, they can make everything so fast and so streamlined. And if you don't, you get caught up in those cogs. You get in the cogs of the system, and the cogs just keep grinding away, grinding away, grinding away. But once you get a really good attorney who's basically – I mean, I mean, I'm talking a good one. He basically takes a giant bag of sand and a bunch of crescent wrenches, and he throws it inside the cogs, and he throws the sand in there. He throws the cog, and all of a sudden, everything grinds to a halt. So suddenly, you decided you weren't going to be a peasant. You decided you weren't going to allow this to happen to you, and they really, from that standpoint, don't know what to do with you in the system because if everybody did that, the entire, quote-unquote, wheels of justice would grind to a halt. So always make sure you have somebody throw sand in the cogs or throw a crusher in the cogs and make sure that somebody notices that you didn't do it or you're innocent or whatever you need to do, get a good attorney. Now I want to say, we'll share one or let's get off that topic real quick. I want to talk about Christian nationalism behind Putin's war. This is a very good article that I thought was really pretty, pretty telling about Putin and, and Russia. Remember I told you guys last year and the year before that, that the Soviet Union failed because the Rothschild banking cartel could not get the Orthodox Church out of the Soviet Union. In other words, they couldn't get Jesus out of it. And remember I told you that China really didn't have Jesus. They really didn't have Christianity there, and most of the Christians that had become Christians basically were killed. And so what ended up happening is they didn't have a fallback, let's say, to Christ or to God to have faith and hope. And so the Christians and the basically the Orthodox Church in Russia stood its ground for 100 years, and finally the Soviet Union fell apart just fell apart. And now Putin is a huge Orthodox proponent and is always talking to the priests, etc., etc. So I want to give you some information on that right now because I found this very, very interesting. In October 20, on October 15, 2015, Russia's newly launched military intervention in defense of a battle Syrian President Assad received a clerical blessing. Patriarch Krill, the powerful leader of the Russian Orthodox Church and a close ally of Vladimir Putin, <laughs> declared it the operation a responsible decision to use military force to protect the Syrian people from the woes brought on by the tyranny of terrorists, terrorists which would be the international banking cartels in the World Economic Forum, 
and all of the people, you know, through the, uh, how should I say, through the committee of 300 who wanted to run a pipeline through Syria and destroy it and to put a central bank into Syria that was not part of the Syrian government that would be Rothschild controlled. The main spokesperson for Krill's church went even further. He goes, quote, the fight with terrorism is a holy battle, and today our country is perhaps the most active force in the world fighting it, said the head of the Church of Public Affairs. Now, let me say something to you. When he's talking about terrorism, he's talking about the United States of America. Now, I know that sounds weird to you guys as Christians and as Americans, but we're the ones that have overthrown 60 countries. And the, the world considers us to be a terrorist nation. You, know, you, go to the, you go to Europe and you start talking to other countries – they hate the United States. They absolutely hate the United States. I was in Switzerland one time. I was speaking to a guy in a little town called Gimmelwald, and I'll never forget him. He's a very he's well known, and, and you know, and Rick Steves from the Travel Channel. He basically stays at this guy's house, and we went to the Gimmelwald because it was such a pretty little town. And I started talking to this guy, and he was just angry about you know the United States of America and all the stuff that we did. I said, whoa, 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 stop! I said, we don't get a chance to vote on this stuff. We didn't do this. You're saying we, we, you, you, you. I said, there's no you in this sentence. I said, I had nothing to do with it, and I voted against it. He goes, oh, I didn't know that. I said, yeah, you know that. I said, not everybody's a weirdo in the United States. Not everybody believes that we should be a terrorist nation invading other countries. So we got to realize, guys, we have to understand who we are and what we need to do as Christians. We've got to stand against tyranny. And this is because Romans is taken out of context. People say, well, you've got to obey. You've got to obey the government no matter what. No, you don't. No, you don't. If they tell you to go kill somebody, you know, like with abortion, you don't have to obey that. If they tell you that like, gay and lesbian rights are okay, no, they're not. The Bible says that's not okay. The, you, you, the gay and lesbian people, that's a sin. That's a perversion. That's not a right. If people want to do that, that's their choice. But you can't pass legislation to protect them against hate speech. If someone doesn't like it and they see somebody with another guy and they're in front of their children or whatever, and they say something to them, that's what the First Amendment speech is all about. But they got to pass laws against that to prevent you from doing that. And this this head guy from the church went on to say that he claimed that God was on Russia's side and expanding his critique of Western liberalism. Today, there is a test for the loyalty to this new world order, a kind of path to get the happy world and the world of excess consumption, the world of false freedom, he said. Do you know that this test is? He says the test is very simple and, and at the same time a terrible it's called Gay Parade. <laughs> this is what the article says. It says it is the Gay Parade. So if you're willing to do that, I guess you're okay. You may be wondering what LGBT rights have to do with the bloody war in Ukraine. Do you remember Zelensky dancing in high heels and, and, and leather tights? You know, the guy's as queer as a $3 bill, probably bisexual. You know, but let me finish reading this. You may be wondering what the LGBT rights have to do with the bloody war in Ukraine, but Krill has long framed the Russian geopolitical challenges in these terms as a conflict between a conservative, culturally virtuous Russia and a debauched, immoral West like Sodom and Gomorrah. His message has undergirded the more secular positions of the Kremlin, helped shape Putin's own post-Soviet national project, and now adds a gloss of legitimacy to a stumbling Russian war effort. He goes, any war has to have guns and ideas, Cyril Horvman, professor of eschatology, says from Stockholm. In this war, the Kremlin has provided the guns, and I believe the church is providing the ideas. But I want to cover this with you. I want, to, I want you to know that these people in Russia are, are, are basically serious about Jesus and about Christianity. And he goes on to say the so-called anti-imperialist leftists in the West – often value Putin's Russia as a counterweight to Washington's designs as a global hegemon. But the illiberal religious, 
religion underlying the autocrat strongman man rule has also made Putin a somewhat popular figure among American evangelicals and the religious right. Are you hearing me? Putin is a popular figure. You know, I'd much rather you know, say, you know, Putin's okay guy. I'm not sure what he's really doing here in the Ukraine. I'm not really sure what really is happening in the war. I don't really know if that ship got sunk. I don't know about any of that stuff. All I know is the stuff that we hear through our mainstream chatterbox media, which is pretty much 90%, 95% lies or twisted and slanted information or just straight out propaganda. But I do know this. I haven't seen Russia. I haven't seen Biden talk about Jesus once. He never even mentioned Jesus or God on his Easter service when he basically ran around with an Easter bunny and leading him by the hand, I guess, because he didn't know where he was going. I mean, no, no surprise there. And, and the problem is, is that then you see pictures of him, which is unbelievably disgusting, you know, on what happened with Hunter's laptop. And you go, what the heck, guys? What in the world are these people doing? And how do we find ourselves in like this? Because the Satan group, which is this group that did the Hunter laptop, this is the same group that did the Jeffrey Epstein evidence, just Lane Maxwell evidence, all the blackmail on everybody. It's the same group that's doing this Ukrainian war, if there is one, or whatever's happening over there. And the Ukraine is basically fighting against Russia that's trying to liberate it's the Russians from behind Ukrainian lines that they've been shelled for the past eight years and tens of thousands have been killed. And, and Russia supposedly, is, what I understand, is going in there and trying to liberate the Russians. Same thing happened in Poland. A big chunk of Germany after World War One through the Versailles Treaty became Poland. A big chunk of Czechoslovakia after the Versailles Treaty became Czechoslovakia. A big chunk of, uh, chunk of Germany became part of Czechoslovakia. And when Hitler went into Poland, remember, Russia went in with Poland too. Never forget this. This is what precipitated World War II. I'm gonna, for you new listeners, I'm going to say something to you. You need to read the book The Bad War by King. The book The Bad War by King. It's a free PDF. It won't cost you a penny. And when Germany invaded Poland to get their land back with their Germans trapped behind the borders of Poland because they had had the land taken away from the Versailles Treaty, Russia also went in and took the other half of Poland. England only declared – who basically had a treaty with Poland – England only declared war on Germany and not on Russia. Oh, yeah, because all these guys were in cahoots together because the satanic cabal Luciferian – international banking communist community was already controlling England, and they were not going to declare, quote-unquote, a war on Russia after the Rothschild banking cartel had caused the Russian Revolution. So they only declared war on Germany, not on Russia, though both countries at the same time went into Poland. So think through all of this stuff, and remember, we've got to keep our hearts and minds on Christ, because the Christian remnant in this country, what's left of us, is the only thing holding this whole bag of snakes together. That's what it is. It's turned into a bag of snakes and we're holding it together. Basically, we're saying, no, we're not going to compromise. We're going to – the onward Christian soldiers marching off to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. That's what we have here. We're the last remnant in this country that's standing the ground. So many people don't want to stand the ground anymore. They've been completely compromised and brainwashed from the mainwashed media from drugs. So we've got to stand. That's why I want to thank you guys. I've not had the – yes, I did. I prayed for you guys myself this morning because I had to take off early this morning. I prayed for you guys on the way to my appointment. But, guys, I love you. I appreciate you. And I just want to thank you for standing your ground. I really do, like it says in Ephesians. No matter what else happens, you've got to stand. And so that's what we're here to do, to stand with you. I love you guys. Go ahead, Austin. What's your next story? Oh, absolutely. I mean there's no question about it. The more and more proactive that people are becoming – it's showing that you know we're obviously making a difference, and all of you. When I say we, I mean all of us, all of us in this community. That the the um, 
that we're, we're standing up and pushing back and making our voices heard. That's why there's so many things that are starting to occur now to where they're kind of taking a step back and they're saying, okay, I'm not sure if we need to go along with this. I'm not sure if we need to do this. As people continue to see other people stand up, it makes a huge difference because people see it and they, it encourages other people. You have to continue to encourage people. If they believe something, say it. You know, you don't have to be rude or disrespectful by any means, but if you believe something or something you don't like, you have the right to say, no, I don't like that. No, that offends me or though I don't agree with that. That's funny. As I, I said repeatedly, it's some of the most frustrating things to me to see people actually comply with this rules for me and not for the concept where the hardcore leftist communists can come in and say, we're going to promote this type of perversion. We're going to talk about this type of weirdness. We're going to talk about completely and totally ignoring the laws of nature. And if you don't agree with what we're saying or you say anything that's opposed to what we're saying, we're going to scream and yell from the rooftops that you're a neo-Nazi racist and cancel you because you don't have a right to disagree with us. That's not a republic. That's not a free society. That's not a, a country with a First Amendment right of free speech. That's, that's none of the above. No, not A, B, C, D, none of the above. <laughs> and that's what people have to remember. The only way you maintain your rights to speak freely to speak your mind, to travel freely, unmolested on your way, to maintain your security and the ability to carry firearms is by exercising those rights. <laughs> it was funny. Yesterday I was I was uh, talking to a, a dealer I know out in California that does some car stuff back and forth, and I was showing him some videos inside of a car, and he uh, he was looking at the seat. He's like, man, he's like, you got an indention on your seat. And uh, I was looking. I was said, yeah. I said, well, I, I carry a pistol on me. I said, I, said, I try to take it out when I'm sitting in the car. So done poking the leather. I said, sometimes I forget though with the magazine. So it didn't scratch or anything. I said, just didn't mention I was just in it. And he's like, wait, what? And I said, yeah. And I, I pulled up my shirt and showed him a screenshot. I said, I got a Glock 43X on me. He goes, dude, you carry a gun down there in Florida? I said, yeah, dude. I said, you always stay in armored shooter pistol. <laughs> You always got to make sure you keep it. I said, because everybody else has got a pistol, and if, if somebody else is nutty and they got a pistol, you better have a pistol to handle their nuttiness if they decide to act nutty. And he started laughing. He goes, let me get my son here. My son loves guns. He goes, we can't really have anything out here in California. He's like, do you carry it with you? I said, yeah, got a concealed carry permit. You don't carry it everywhere. He's like, dude, that's awesome. He's like, I wish we could have that in California. He's like, we can't have anything out here. And he's like, the crime's gotten so bad. He's like, all these homeless people are just attacking and punching people all the time. He's like, I wish we could carry a gun. I said, well, I'm not going to invite you to move to Florida because I'm sick of everybody moving here. <laughs> I said, but, yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from. I said, California is kind of an uh, interesting state to live in when it comes to freedom and rights. And we were kind of joking back and forth. But the thing that's ironic that I was watching the other day is there was a comment that they were talking about with these senators now. And if you guys saw the Florida Senate has now voted 25 to 15 to pass the measure that will remove Disney's exemption of their Reedy Creek uh, Corporation exemption, meaning they don't have to pay property taxes. They don't have to do anything. They have basically a, an island country to themselves in the middle of Florida, and now it's going to Congress to get basically, I think, ratified, and then DeSantis will sign into law, and it's going to make Disney completely and totally uh, on the same platform as everybody else. I told you guys before. I'm not going to sit here and say hoorah, hoorah, I'm glad somebody's having to pay taxes. What I am going to say is 
we're all stuck in this horrible boat of property taxes and what they've done over the years and compromised everything is taxation is theft. But my goodness, if Disney is going to sit there and reap billions of dollars in sales every year and they want to get vocal about what they want to push and they want to try to put their perversion out in the market, you darn well better believe they need to be on the same platform. If we're all at the taxation party, they're going to sit at the table too and get taxed on top of that, as much as I hate having to say that. But it's just interesting. So we'll see what happens with it. But what was funny is one of the senators was saying, we are not going to allow California's failed policies be dictated in Florida through Disney World. Disney is a guest in this state, and they will now be shown that. And I was like, whoa, okay, here we go now. Let's, let's get the party started. And this is obviously something that's going to be interesting to watch as Disney's going to be – the executives are going to be punching air right now, super mad. Granted, it's not going to bankrupt them by any means. I mean, they, they generate so much cash. It's going to be – Dollars in the bucket. But on top of that, though, it's the principle and the fact that nobody should be able to be above the law, essentially, and have their own country in the middle of Florida and then turn around and try to dictate what lawmakers can and can't do. Remember, the CEO of Disney called up the Santa Santa conversation. So I really think this bill needs to go away. You know, we're, we're Disney World. You know, kind of, kind of basically – Kind of almost like threatening a veiled threat towards DeSantis, basically saying, we're Disney. We bring in a lot of revenue here to Florida. I think this bill just needs to go away. DeSantis basically said, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> why, why are you calling me, and why am I on the phone with you? Have a fantastic day. Basically hung up, didn't take another phone call again from it, and then decided, hey, guess what? We're going to remove their exemption now that makes them the country. This is good news, especially in the fact that it's going to show the world what happens when wokeness gets canceled for being woke because <laughs> everybody's had enough of it now. In the Hollywood and the movies, that's why a lot of these movies now are bombing. They want to put all this stupid stuff in them all the time, and you're like, come on, man. Okay, well, once you find out that's in it, I'm like, I'm not going to go see it. That's why a lot of times I let people watch movies. I read reviews before I go and see it, and occasionally I'll see something you know, early, and usually I regret it because <laughs> I don't know what's in it. But again, that's why it's so important to make sure you support com companies that you know are supporting your rights. Also, to another news, this is something that got almost virtually no news. Columbia Community Connection posted on it, and a few other websites, Alternative Media posted on it. The Azure Standard Warehouse, the main office in Dufer, on Monday, April 18th, caught on fire for reasons that are not yet known. This company, if you guys don't know this, Azure Industries, Azure Standard – um, I've, I've worked with some stuff from before because they're huge distributors of organic and non-GMO oils. They're actually one of the largest independent distributors of natural, organic, non-GMO foods as well as home health, outdoor, and garden-related products. And it has about 150 employees at this area. And it somehow randomly caught on fire. And they're saying that the avocado oil and the, the olive oil and the canola oil all fueled it and basically burned down the entire facility. It was a total loss. I find it very funny that we constantly are starting to see facilities burning down, different types of diseases like, oh, we have to slaughter 5 million chickens, allegedly what they claimed, because they somehow have the bird flu and we somehow tested 5 million chickens and they're all infected with it. And all these other companies that are basically starting to get bought out and completely collapsed or absorbed into other companies. And we're seeing this all happen at the exact same time we're watching one of the largest food crises start to unfold globally. I saw an article earlier 
that was from IMF Research Department Director Pierre Gortrez. And he said this crisis is unfolding even as the global economy is not fully recovered from the pandemic. Now, remember, this is the IMF, so he's a hard, hard globalist. But a comment that he makes here is he says, even before the war, inflation in many countries has been rising due to supply-demand imbalances. Furthermore, increases in food and fuel prices may also significantly increase the prospect of social unrest in poor countries. Central banks need to adjust their policies decisively to ensure that medium and long-term inflation expectations remain anchored. Now, again, this is coming from a IMF, International Monetary Fund, director and working with central banks. And so he's a total globalist cabal boy. But you got to think about it. This is not the first time we've heard this. Numerous other agencies have been saying the same thing, talking about fuel and food, fuel and food, because they go hand in hand and social and rest along with them. That's why I've really increased and told everybody, make sure you're increasing any type of stockpile that you may need on backup food and water. Once this thing starts to go sideways, it's going to happen really, really fast. Remember what happened with toilet paper at the beginning of COVID. Toilet paper wasn't even in shortage. There was no shortage of toilet paper. Some people started hearing everybody's getting sick and we have to stay at home for a couple weeks in quarantine, and people started to buy staple products, one of them being toilet paper. Well, people started seeing other people walking out with shopping carts of huge bags of toilet paper and went, hey, if I'm stuck at home, I definitely want to have enough toilet paper. Everybody's getting sick. Let's go buy toilet paper. Well, then all of a sudden you started having the herd mentality. Everybody started seeing people walking out with cases of toilet paper, so then people started buying more toilet paper. And then start, people started talking about, oh, there's a shortage of toilet paper, which made everybody want to buy more toilet paper. And it was – I mean it was uh, quite ridiculous. I mean it was asinine at some point. People coming in with four and five carts of toilet paper above their head trying to buy it. I'm like, dude, there's two people in your family. That's like 10 years' worth supply of toilet paper. I mean is that really necessary? Oh, no, it's running out. It's running out. And it wasn't running out. Everybody was just buying it up. And, of course, the supply finally caught up. But you guys remember that. What happens when you start seeing numerous people buy huge carts of food from the store? And then you start hearing it on the news that the food's running out at Publix or running out at Kroger's or running out at Walmart. And you start seeing videos online of people getting in riots and fighting at stores over food supplies. Once that happens, it has a ripple effect. And that's when you start seeing people panic buy food. That is when you know it's going to start getting sideways. Right now, they're telling us there's a shortage. There's photos of shortages, but there's still a considerable large amount of food floating around. However, all these little incidents that are occurring here and there, these fires at this facility, these chickens here, this recall on this, this baby formula getting recalled, all those things start culminating to a larger event and a giant economic engine that we call the United States of America. So make sure, my friends, whatever it is, whether you want the organic food buckets, the meat buckets, beans and rice, pasta, whatever you want to store up that you feel like you need and you can utilize properly and you know how to cook, I suggest you start looking at those areas if you have not done so because I can tell you one thing 100% for a fact right now. Food is not going to come down in price. Nothing is going to get cheaper in the food industry right now. That is 100% fact. So just think of it as money in the bank, so to speak, if that's the direction that you need to go. Also, too, in other news, this is something that I thought was interesting, real short for the end of the show. Dad brought up earlier with the appointees on the Supreme Court and how they're compromised. Barrett and Kavanaugh, both the ones that Trump put in, have turned into complete and total turncoats. And I use that phrase from the Revolutionary War, total turncoats. They now just rejected the appeal of an F-16 fighter pilot. It's an F-16 Falcon fighter pilot of an airman 
that refused to take the COVID shot. President Trump appointees Kavanaugh and Barrett joined the Supreme Court's left flank in rejecting the emergency repeal from an Air Force Reserve officer who has been punished for his refusal to take the COVID injection. He was repealing the higher court after the Air Force rejected his religious exemption, and he had already contracted COVID and had antibodies. They removed him from his command as an officer, Air Force pilot. And now the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of the Air Force that he basically is going to be stripped of his rank. And I don't know if he's getting court-martialed or he's going to be simply removed of his commission. He's going to be dropped down to like a private. I don't know how this works. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Very sad to see this happen with our men and women in armed forces that have worked so hard to get in these programs and trained so much. This is what they want to do for career. And I commend them for that. And to be treated like this is downright abysmal from the Supreme Court and these two pieces of garbage that we thought were conservatives. But Dad called both of them out when they were getting appointed. And obviously, we're seeing now that they were not what they were supposed to be. They were basically wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're not conservatives at all. So thank you again, my friends, for doing the research and getting the truth out there as much as you possibly can. Healthmasters.com, the Purple Sticks on sales product of the week. Be sure to check them out on the website. Y'all have a blessed, safe, awesome night, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow as always. Broadcasting to the U.S. and around the world by way of clear digital audio, 22,500 miles above the planet. This is the Global Star Radio Network.